The mercies of the Lord are from everlasting to everlasting upon all them that fear God. So come, dear friends, and let us worship the Lord our God. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. The Lord is a great God, and a great King above all gods. In God's hands are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains belong to God also. The sea is the Lord's, for God made it, and the dry land is for thy hand that formed it. For the mountains let us worship in thy land. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Almighty and eternal God, from the beginning you have never been silent, alone, or aloof from your creation. 
You have always been our eloquent God, ever speaking a strong and redemptive word to us. Even now, in Holy Spirit, you invite us also to break our silence and to speak. You invite us to speak to you in worship, in prayer, and in praise. You invite us to speak to each other in words of comfort and encouragement and hope. As you have invited us, so now inspire us, so that in all that we say and do, we echo and repeat the blessing you have already pronounced upon the world in the name of the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both those of us gathered here in this sanctuary as well as everyone worshiping in other locations. We are glad and grateful to gather in the name of the Lord. And because it is in Christ's name that we have gathered, that means that our word of welcome is one that is extended with no qualifiers whatsoever attached to it. Christ welcomes all, and so all are welcome here at the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. We'd like to ask everyone, members and guests alike, please to sign the friendship pad, which you will find on your pew. Sign it, send it down, and back again. And that will give us the advantage of each other's names when we conclude this service that we might greet one another by name. We'd also be delighted if everyone would join us for a time of fellowship in Old Buttonwood Hall, which <clears throat> excuse me, is just out this door to my right. And down a short hallway there, you will find that our deacons have prepared light refreshments. But most importantly, you will find the opportunity for us to engage more deeply with one another in our common life together. Speaking of our common life together, I'd like to uh, highlight a few things from the announcements portion of your bulletin. The first is to call to your attention the insert which you will find in your bulletin. On the one side, you see items that we are collecting for our Linton Drive to benefit St. Barnabas Community Resource Center. You may bring those items here to the church. We'll have plastic receptacles uh, at the front of the sanctuary to receive those beginning next week. We'd love for you to participate in that way. On the other side of that, you will see a marvelous opportunity to hear two fabulous musicians, Brian, excuse me, three, no, two musicians and one lecturer, uh, Brian Chu, baritone, and Hannah Ludwig, uh, mezzo-soprano, both of whom are musicians associated with this congregation and a marvelous opportunity to hear them. So please do make your reservation in advance for that. Ticket's $50, or you may pay at the door, although Andrew does assure me they really love it when we register in advance. Um, I'd like to highlight as well, upcoming, a new members class next Sunday. That is for anyone who wishes to unite with us in ministry in this church. Whether you have worshipped with us a few weeks or many years, we would be delighted to receive you. All you need to do is let me know that you'd like to attend. That takes place from 10 to 11. We break for worship and then lunch, and then we wrap up by 2 o'clock. Uh, we'd love to have you here for that. And we, there will be, for, at least for the first hour, a virtual opportunity for that. You may reach out to me about that. You'll note as well that our Linton book study on Frederick Beekner's wishful thinking continues. That will take place in the McCall room, which is on the second floor above Old Buttonwood Hall. And there we will continue reading aloud. You don't need to have done any preparation to come to it. It's a, it's a simple concept. He wrote brief uh, paragraphs about theological concepts. We read them and we discuss them. It's quite simple. So come and join us. No prior reading required for that at all.
Finally, I would like to provide a little good news on the organ front. The work begins tomorrow. Tomorrow. And so we hope we will have our magnificent pipe organ again working uh, very soon. Uh, maybe not by next Sunday, but certainly in, in weeks to come, we will be reunited with this, this magnificent instrument. And as always, we are so grateful for the leadership our choir provides us. In the last few weeks from the gallery, I've missed you up here, and I look forward to having you back. <laughs> with these things noted, let us continue our worship now with our confession of sin. As we prepare our hearts for worship, we remember God is holy and just, and we are not. So we begin our worship with a candid appraisal of who we really are, inviting God and God's intimate spirit to enter into our hearts and heal us with a just word. Let us join together in our prayer of confession. O oh Lord, you know us very well. We believe that we can hide things from your sight. We are wrong. We believe that we could hide our misdeeds. We are wrong. You know us so very well, and you love us. We needn't hide at all. Why do we hide, O oh Lord? We hide because we are afraid. We are afraid that you will judge us. We forget that in Jesus, you, the judge, stood in our place. You know us so well, O oh God, because you choose to be with us. Forgive our fear and turn our hearts back to you. We pray it in the name of one who stood in our place, Jesus Christ. These are the words of Paul. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, proclaimed among you by us, is not an ambiguous blend of yes and no. With him it was and is always yes. He is the yes pronounced upon all God's promises, every one of them. That is why when we give glory to God, it is through Jesus Christ that we say, Amen. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven.
Our first lesson for this morning is taken from Paul's letter to the Romans, the fifth chapter, beginning at the first verse. Listen for the word of God. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely would anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we have been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God. For while if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Here ends the first lesson. Please take your Bibles from the rack in the pew in front of you and turn to page 93 of the New Testament. There we will find the fourth chapter of John's Gospel and you will have a portion in today's reading give you a moment to find it. I will be reading the narration, the choir will read the part of Jesus, and you, the congregation, will be reading the part of the woman at the well. So let us share together in the reading of God's holy word. <clears throat> now when Jesus heard that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself but his disciples who baptized, he left Judea and started back to Galilee. But he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, 
The woman said to him, Jesus said to her, The woman said to him, Jesus said to her, The woman answered him, Jesus said to her, The woman said to him, Jesus said to her, The woman said to him, Jesus said to her, Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, What do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them,
many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Almighty, eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The thing about really great literature is that the characters somehow seem so familiar to us. Leo Tolstoy's classic War and Peace begins with a birthday party, and everyone we know is there. The naive political zealot, the shameless flirt, the lonely spouse, her self-absorbed husband, they're all there. Or perhaps you saw last year the film The Wife, a narcissistic author, an opportunistic journalist, a woman whose accomplishments are claimed by a man. We've never met these people. We're not going to. They are fictional characters after all. But we know them. They have the ring of familiarity about them. We know people who fit their profile. Or perhaps we are the people who fit their profile. Honestly, when I see a slapstick pratfall in a movie, I feel seen. Whether we like these characteristics in others or not, I am sure we recognize them in ourselves from time to time. In our most hidden moments, we know there are sides of ourselves that we prefer to keep hidden. And in some cases, we, we may even successfully keep them hidden. The woman at Jacob's well is no exception. I've always thought there was a poignancy to her story. 
Jesus is waiting by the well. She appears, and he speaks to her seemingly in, in code. In my mind's eye, she looks like Flo from Mel's Diner. Now that'll show a generational shift. Who remembers Flo from Mel's Diner? She's sort of brassy and coarse, but it's all to hide an underlying vulnerability. I see her leaning up against that well, her work uniform worn at the cuffs and the elbows. She's run out on her lunch to do her grocery shopping. And just when she's about to wrap it up, just when she's about to push her buggy through the checkout line, some rando interrupts her. I need a drink, he says. Look, buddy, what you need is your own buggy. We know her. We know what's going through her mind. I spend all my life waiting on other people, and I'm off the clock now. Get it yourself. And then Jesus really hits his Johannine stride, informing her that if she knew him, if she really knew him, she'd toss aside the buggy and her groceries and accept this water of life that he's offering. There he goes again. You remember I told you a few weeks ago that in John, Jesus has this pattern. There is often a logical disconnect that occurs in his teachings. Jesus encounters some nameless characters or occasionally people with names, and they are overwhelmingly concerned with very real nuts and bolts scenarios. They are concerned with physical, real matters, and then Jesus turns their questions back on them, answering sometimes in what seems like a non sequitur. No, that's not what you need. What you really need is this, implying that they don't even know what it is they really need. Asking for a drink of water, Jesus speaks to this woman, and he speaks to her. Nevertheless, she is savvy enough not to take the bait. You don't live her life without picking up a few street smarts, so she lobs back, Give me this water. Lord knows I don't need to be coming here every day. Go get your husband and come back, he quietly replies. That line penetrates to what is hidden. That gets to the part of her that she doesn't wear publicly, the part that others use to hurt her. I have no husband, she says. You've had five, and the man you are with now won't marry you. She is seen, she is known, but does she want to be seen? Why is it, she goes on, that you Jews who worship in Jerusalem won't include us, but then when we worship on our own, you claim there's no temple but in Jerusalem? Does God hear our prayers less because we are Samaritans? Pivoting from marital status to ethnicity, she takes the fight back to Jesus. Jews didn't much look at Samaritans. They could walk right by one another without ever seeing each other. 
But Jesus sees her. Jesus knows her. We can safely assume she probably didn't get much respect in the rest of her life. She knows how the Jews feel about her people. Jews don't like Samaritans. They don't trust Samaritans. They look down on Samaritans. Samaritans look down on her. It's all downhill from there. So she knows if she is to have any dignity, any self-respect, she will have to make it for herself. Perhaps that's why this conversation goes on so long. This is the longest recorded conversation that Jesus has with anyone. Moreover, it is one of the few conversations, at least in John's Gospel narrative, in which Jesus does not turn it into a monologue. It is a conversation between them, back and forth. And it shouldn't have happened. Men and women didn't interact like this. Multi-married women generally weren't part of such amiable conversations, certainly not with a rabbi. And bear in mind, her five marriages do not make her the gay divorcee. They point instead to a truth that this is a woman who has been wounded by love. Perhaps that's why she is out at midday. Peak well is at dawn or at dusk, in the cool of the day, not in the heat of high noon. Those who wanted the community of friends gathered around the well then. Anybody who goes at a different time has a reason for being there at the different time. But there's one thing we do know about the well at noon. You are fully in the light. The sun is finally overhead. You can see into the depths of the well. A moment of clarity comes. A moment of knowing and being known. It is a communion of sorts, knowing and being known. There is no bread or wine, but the distance between them is bridged. Against everything that would force them not to engage with one another fully, deeply, Jesus and this woman continue their conversation. It is an entrepreneur that brims with redemptive purpose. Then the disciples come around the end cap and they see them there talking over the dairy section. And John tells us they were astonished. Well, of course they were. This was a conversation that shouldn't be happening. Now, you would think by now they'd be used to it. We see Jesus doing this over and over again. Sometimes we get it, sometimes we don't. Or at least that's how the disciples' reaction makes it appear. Yes, Jesus, we get it. You want us to be inclusive. Let the outsiders in. Enough already. You've made your point. We'll work on it. There's just one problem with this understanding, though. 
It's not that it isn't inclusive enough, though it isn't. Jesus isn't asking us to open ourselves a little when he gave everything. No, it's that we forget who we are in this story. We are all the woman at the well. And if we are the woman at the well, then Jesus knows us. And Jesus sees us. And in seeing us, sees us in the light that allows him to see to the depths. Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. As we contemplate our lives in this Lenten season, what are we not so successfully hiding? What is the secret sorrow that lurks in the back of our minds and makes us think, well, if God knew that about me, if Jesus knew that, this whole forgiveness thing would be a different story. Yet God does know us. God knows us and God loves us. We don't have to worry about any sort of incremental revelation of ourselves to God. In Jesus Christ, God knows humanity because God experienced humanity. God already knows us, and God has already decided to love us. Sometimes I wonder if we approach that silent time during our confession by beginning with the really pedestrian material and working our way up our sin scale till we get to the really shameful stuff, sort of an escalating confession. God knows that and still loves me? Well, we can ratchet it up a notch here. You won't believe what I did this week. Really, still? Well, God, I bet you wouldn't if you knew that uh, God already knows all of that. Enough of it. Jesus knows what it is to be human. He knows what it is to experience temptation. He knows us. Every bit of us. Many years ago in the, my first church, I preached a sermon wherein I highlighted the nature of God's inclusive love, preaching that our intrinsic worth is derived from our nature as God's creation. I've been beating that drum for 25 years, incidentally. And a visitor caught me on the way out the church door and said, that was a wonderful sermon, just so I understand it. You were saying, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay, right? No. The point of being known by Christ is not that I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. The point is, in fact, the opposite. I'm not okay. You're not okay. None of us are okay. But what we are is redeemed. That is a very different thing. It's such a basic theological notion, but if we take it to heart, it offers us a sweeping reassessment of who we are as we make our way with one another. If I'm redeemed and you are redeemed and we are all redeemed, then we are all one in Christ Jesus. Perhaps it is a struggle to know that God knows us 
Because if God knows us, if God knows you, then God knows the real you, not the nice you, the polite you, the friendly you, the confident you, the funny you, but the real you. That's a word of comfort, to be sure, but we, we seem to have such a hard time with it. I mean, we know, or at least we say, there's really nothing we need to hide from God, but isn't that what we've been doing from the very beginning? We've been doing it so long that we've become accustomed to hiding. But that's not what God wants for us. Jesus is telling us we need something different from what we think we need. We think we need to get our ducks in a row before we come anywhere near God. To be fair, that is a message we get pretty much everywhere else and including at times in the church. Get your life together. Straighten yourself out. There are myriad standards we could put to ourselves as to what God expects from us before we can consider ourselves worthwhile enough to merit God's approval. But that's not how God sees it. God, after all, has a soft spot for sinners. We can fool ourselves, but we can't fool God. We can hide all we want who we are, but it is pointless for us. It is as pointless for us as it was for Adam and Eve. And how different is life when we realize that God knows us, God sees us in the light, down to the very depths, and God loves us. That is, after all, what we declared when we were baptized, that we are dead to sin and alive in Christ Jesus. We declare at this font of living water that God knows us, that we are valuable in God's sight, that we are precious to God. There will never be a moment in our lives when we are alien to God. God sees us and God knows us and God loves us. Speak to your neighbor now and say God sees you and God knows you. Go ahead, I'll give you a minute. God sees you, God knows you, and God loves you. Now let's put a really fine point on this, okay? I want you to take it out of the, out of the first person plural and I want you to put it in the first person singular. God sees me. God knows me. God loves me. That's the gospel right there. At the end of the day, knowing that God knows us is not so much about whether or not God's knowledge of us is in some way embarrassing to us. It is about remembering that the God who sees us and who knows us, loves us. I worry sometimes that we either say that too often or not often enough. We say it so often it becomes glib and it rolls off of us. It doesn't register with us how much God loves us. But if we say it not often enough, we miss the grace of God. And there are times when it does not do for the grace of God to go unnoticed. If you've ever stood in a national cemetery surrounded by the acres and acres of monuments, you know that it matters that God sees us and God knows us. 
and God loves us. If you've ever walked by the panels of the AIDS quilt or by the names on the National Mall, you know that it matters that God sees us and God knows us and God loves us. If you have ever sat in the hospital beside the bed of someone you know deeply and waited for death to come, you know that it matters that God sees us, God knows us, and God loves us. And if you have ever handed over your infant child to the surgeon and waited word of the outcome, you know that it matters that God sees us, God knows us, and God loves us. At every life that I am privileged to celebrate at its end, I say the same words, the words that I said on behalf of Dave Marston last Friday. Acknowledge, we humbly beseech thee, a sheep of thine own fold, a lamb of thine own flock, a sinner of thine own redeeming. It matters that God sees us and God knows us and God loves us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
as we have joined our voices together with the words of a 20th century saint and martyr, let us join together also and pronounce the words of saints and martyrs centuries old. Let us join together in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. From stage to stage in our lives, we are given and we give. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. The morning's offering will now be received. You may bring your offering forward during the offertory to these baskets before us, or you can also give online. Information is available in the rack in front of you. Let us proceed to worship God with our gifts.
Almighty and merciful God, we thank you for all the gifts you shower down upon us. What gifts we make, we make because you first gifted yourself to us in Jesus Christ. Now add the blessing of your Holy Spirit that we might carry that spirit of generosity, donation, and love into a world that needs healing, reconciliation, and aid. We ask all of this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The psalmist says, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, forbearing and constant love. The Lord is good to all, and God's tender care rests upon every creature. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, from the beginning you have loved us. You made our world to be a place where we might stand responsibly before you, live our lives in relation with you, and share your glory as covenant partners in your new creation. Even when we had turned away from you, preferring to stand alone, to live alone, and to seek our own glory apart from you, you did not turn away from us, but loved us still, and came to us in Jesus Christ. Even now, you continue to show your love for us. Even now, you do not leave us on our own, but rather, in Holy Spirit, you come to us to renew us, correct us, and restore us when we wander. You continue to teach us, comfort us, and sustain us as we labor for charity and justice. You continue to invite us to live with hope for tomorrow to seek your will with each new venture, and join our small efforts with your own in the reclamation of the world. We thank you for every good gift. We praise you for your mercy and justice. We pledge ourselves to your cause in the world. But first of all, we demonstrate our trust in you by confessing our frailty and our need for you at every moment and calling upon you even now in prayer. You who have labored so long to save us, sustain us all the more. We face illness, death, financial crisis, anxiety, insecurity, and doubt. There is much in our lives which frightens us. There is much in our lives which angers us. We live in a world where virtue is not readily recognized, where sometimes it is even mocked, where hard work is not regularly rewarded, where good character and loyal service seem to count for little. There is much we much must endure which is insulting, demeaning, or unjust. Almighty God, if it be your will, bring healing and deliverance to us. Rescue us, our relationships, our communities, our world, 
Give us patience when there is nothing to be done. Stir us to action when mercy and justice can be served. Save us from indifference, cynicism, or despair. Safeguard us against all narrow selfishness, bigotry, greed, or cruelty. Teach us the paths in which we should go and grant us the wisdom we need to keep to them. Most of all, give us the faith, hope, and love we need each day to keep laughing, to keep working, to keep hoping, to keep praying thy kingdom come. We pray for your church, that it might continue to proclaim the rule of your love and justice in the world and the hope for all humanity which is to be found in you. We pray for the future which you unfold for us each day. Merciful, gracious, and loving God, make us worthy of the glory you are preparing and make us a part of the work that you are even now working in the world. For the sake and in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who we pray, even using the words that he taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, Deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
remember, you are seen, you are known, you are loved. So live with the confidence of children of God. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace both this day and forevermore. Amen.